Previously on Saratoga Lights. Do I need to remind you that if we don't have the keys, our entire plan is for naught? Listen to me. I will get us out of this. You think you can just kill him and walk off into the sunset? God has abandoned us. You kill him, then you become him. Why be an outlaw? And then another. I don't know if I can make it right. And another. You can't ask me to kill him. And another. Saratoga Lads, Season 2, Episode 12, Bandidos, Del Diablo. Trudy enters a dimly lit warehouse and makes her way down a row of boilers, flanked on both sides by steel pipes and instrumentation, attuned to various measurements that probably meant something to someone at some point. But like everything else found in this place, has been in a state of decay since the beginning of time. At the back of the building, she finds Bradford, sleeves rolled up, arms and torso stained black with a hacksaw in his hand. Finally, let's make tracks. Where's old Scratch? You're looking at him. Oh, you mean the other guy. Bradford points to a pile of body parts on the ground. Limbs and appendages, strewn every which way. That's most of them. He looks around at the carnage. A little bit over there. We had ourselves a little coup d'etat while you were out. Trudy sees the severed head of old Scratch on the concrete floor, mouth agape, slightly collapsed after forcibly coming into contact with a cinder block. His eyes are open, retinas burned with the surprise of his imminent demise. She can see the horror in his face, and wonders if he had any inkling of the fatal error in judgment having brought Bradford into his employ. Trudy always knew, even if Old Scratch didn't see it, to never underestimate this man. She dutifully tosses the keys to him. Time to blow this joint. Turns out, Hell is less like a lake of fire and brimstone and more like a series of ghost towns that have outlived their initial promise of prosperity, leaving only empty buildings, overgrown streets, and the occasional appearance of residents condemned to an eternity of servitude and suffering. It's a more subtle torture enacted upon the condemned. Maggie is driving slowly into one of these dusty old roadside towns. Trudy drove in this direction after their initial run-in, but Maggie doesn't have much to go on besides that. She scans up and down each side street for any sign of life, or some version of it. From the back seat, William and Lucas eagerly peer into every storefront and enclave that they come across, doubting that they're on the right trail with every passing block. Suddenly the car stops. Maggie sees the motorcycle propped up in an empty gravel parking lot that adjoins a large brick building. She parks behind the motorcycle, examining the large, faceless entry of the warehouse. 
William and Lucas, too, look at the large brick facade and feel the imposing nature of it crushing them. The preacher's plan in shambles and the hopelessness of their situation. But that's never stopped them in the past. What are we going to do? Nothing's changed. We need to get those keys and stop Old Scratch from escaping. If anyone comes out of there, kill him. Wait, where are you going? I'll take out who I can and flush the rest out to y'all. How many bullets are in there? Uh, three. One for Trudy, one for Bradford, one for Old Scratch. Shoot them in the face and make sure they know what's coming. I'll be happy to oblige. You're not going in there empty-handed. Of course not. That's why we brought the chainsaw. Maggie opens the trunk and pulls out a chainsaw, an old, rusted piece of machinery, marred by an eternity of neglect. It ain't pretty, but it works. They made sure of that. Her boots crush the gravel underneath as she makes her way to the warehouse, throwing open the large door and bathe in the dark, damp room with the burning light of the sun. Maggie makes her way down an aisle and sees Bradford and Trudy amongst one or more dismembered bodies. My dear Magnolia, you always seem to show up at the most inopportune moments. Maggie tries to crank the chainsaw, but it doesn't start. Trudy grabs the hacksaw from the table and rushes at Maggie, swinging wildly at her face. Maggie does her best to deflect each blow using the chainsaw while getting in one or two hits of her own. But it's not the most wieldy of weapons. Bradford takes this opportunity to make his exit out of the back door, taking the only thing with him that he needs. The keys. Lucas is standing guard on the front side of the warehouse, as William rests in the back seat of the car, examining his wound. The blood on his shirt more closely resembles dirty motor oil than anything else. He lifts the fabric off the wound and examines it with his fingers. Instead of a festering cesspool of lead and disease, it actually closed on its own. This doesn't hurt that much anymore. Actually, I can barely feel a thing. If he believed it were possible in such a place as this, he would classify it as a miracle. Lucas looks in on his brother and then scans the horizon. The empty road is flanked by grown-over lots on one side and old brick buildings on the other. What do you think happens to us if we die? I think we have pretty definitive proof of the existence of an afterlife. Namely, hell. No, I mean, what happens if we die again? What happened to the preacher? I don't know, Lucas. Maybe, I don't, I don't know. Maybe we... Uh, Maybe we give enough of ourselves, uh, finally do some good, we can be saved, born again, uh, reincarnation, whatever you want to call it. That's what happened to the preacher. If that's true, I like to come back as a bald eagle. I'd, I'd like to be someone that lives on the beach and drinks beer all day long. But I don't know. The way things are going, we'll probably find out soon enough. Outlaw living. William's mind drifts to Sarah's bedroom above that old bar. 
the last place he felt safe and secure. He should have heeded her warning. He should have stayed. Either get caught or killed. Behind the warehouse, an old, wrinkled shell of what was once a human rummages through piles of trash and discarded appliances. In a former life, he was well-respected, but now is condemned to wander and scavenge across this long-forgotten wasteland. Bradford emerges from the back door of the warehouse and kicks up a storm of dust in his wake as he makes his way over to a waiting car. The homeless demon, instinctively drawn to worship at the feet of Old Scratch, cowers before Bradford as he approaches, groveling and offering supplication. Clear a path, you shit! Bradford angrily pushes the scavenger out of the way with his boot, sending him to scurry behind a trash pile. As Bradford reaches the car, he senses a new set of eyes watching him. Not the eyes of the homeless demon he just subjugated, nor the lifeless eyes of the damned that he's grown accustomed to seeing these last few months, but rather the eyes of something more close to alive than dead. The eyes of something that doesn't belong here. He turns to see the Pistol Brothers back by the warehouse exit. Standing about 20 yards behind him, William's looking a little worse for the wear. Lucas has a gun trained on Bradford. Well, looks like the old gang is back together again. Bandito de Diablo. We're going to need them keys. Oh, absolutely. I apologize. Bradford tosses the keys a couple of feet in front of the brothers. William and Lucas glance at one another, wary that the task could be as easy as it appears. William cautiously steps forward to grab them from the ground as Lucas provides cover. A poor choice, it would appear, as Bradford is able to draw his own gun and aim it at his target before Lucas even realizes that he moved. <laughs> the bullet strikes the ground in front of William and sends dirt flying in his face as his arm extends for the keys. You think you two morons are the only ones who know how to smuggle a gun down here? I'll drop you where you stand. Get with the program, fellas. I'm running things now. Old Scratch, you're looking at him. And I'm taking my boys all the way up to the Lone Star State to strike fear in the hearts of all those do-good, goddamn, dogmatic sons of bitches. And you two get to spend an eternity down here licking my boot heels on a steady diet of piss and shit. Hope you boys like the taste. Go to hell. We're already in hell. William and Lucas look at each other confused. Not sure which classic line to say. Do you feel lucky? No, that doesn't apply. Eat my dust. That doesn't even make sense. Lucas finally has a moment of clarity. Fuck you. Go to hell. Two shots ring out simultaneously and echo across the landscape. Little wisps of smoke rise from both of their barrels and dissipate into the air just as quickly, leaving the men as still as the grave. Bradford looks down and sees a bloody hole in his chest, oozing black tar all over his pearl snaps. Lucas looks down, fully expecting the same, only to find nothing. He reaches up and touches his chest for confirmation. Must be blanks, he thinks to himself. Bradford drops to the ground like a ton of bricks blood coating his teeth, cursing his misfortune. Lucas and William approach cautiously, 
Knowing the tenacity and fortitude of this man, wary of any tricks he might still be holding up his sleeve, William retrieves Bradford's gun from the ground as the brothers arrive at his feet, kicking and writhing in pain. They stand over Bradford and fill his field of vision. I'll be damned. Bradford, defiant as always, is resigned to his fate. Lucas and William stare down at this man, this literal devil who caused them so much grief and pain, and unload the remainder of their chambers into his chest. Each shot hitting him like a sledgehammer and making his body jump off the ground like some kind of morbid death dance. The last shot rings out, leaving only the sound of heavy breathing coming from the two brothers. He's dead. Maggie comes out the back door of the warehouse, covered in the black viscous fluid that once flowed through Trudy's veins. She drops the chainsaw on the ground, clogged with bits of scalp and hair, as William and Lucas turn to face her. A collective sense of relief washes over the group, and for the first time in ages, they smile. Well, lucky you had us around to clean up this mess. From behind the trash pile, the homeless demon furiously crawls towards the brothers, a slave to his inherent drive to worship Old Scratch, whoever he may be. This old fool reaches for their feet, begging for good fortune and favor from his master. Easy, friend. Lucas raises his gun towards the unknown threat as both he and William try to figure out just what's going on. Looks like you're in charge now. Okay. Uh, uh, Thank... Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, go, go on. Go on now. William releases the homeless demon from his duty as he backs up from the brothers respectfully before rising from the ground and continuing to shamble on down the rows and rows of refuse. Lucas picks the keys up off the ground and gives them to Maggie. Where to now? Try to find a way back to the living. What about you, old scratch? Maybe we'll stick around here for a while. See what kind of trouble we can get into around here. Yeah. There are no handshakes. No hugs. Just a tacit acknowledgement that the circumstances that brought them together had come to an end. Their journey together was over. Maggie Sewell returns to the waiting diplomat out front and collapses in the driver's seat, left with only some rusted springs and torn upholstery to support the weight of her world. She looks at herself in the rearview mirror, worn, exhausted. The lines on her face that didn't get there from smiling. Her eyes suddenly jump to another person reflected in the mirror, someone standing behind the car. It's Avid. She whips around and looks out the rear windshield for her husband, but he's not there. No one is there. Maggie is all alone in this hellish landscape, with only a busted set of wheels and the keys to get back home. That'll be enough. She picks up speed. Her eyes are focused on the road laid out before her. 50, 55, 60. Maggie checks the rear view. Nothing. Just the old town shrinking ever smaller. 65, 70. She checks the rear view again. Nothing. Her eyes return to the road. She spots something ahead. Someone, maybe. But Maggie can't quite make it out. 
Having scavenged the corpse of Bradford Molina and found nothing but a discolored pack of Markhams, mostly empty, save for one or two stale cigarettes. William and Lucas, the Pistol Brothers, now sit in the car that he had waiting. They themselves waiting for the rusted out V8 to return to the living. William offers a cigarette to Lucas as he attempts to hotwire the vehicle. Those things will kill you. Not a concern, given our current state. How many of them do you think there's been? Uh, more than a couple, for sure. You know, technically, I delivered the fatal blow to Bradford. So? So really, if we're being honest, I'm old scratch. He was still alive on the ground. But I put him on the ground. Yeah, and my bullets tore through him just as much as yours after you failed to kill him with the first shot. You're right, you're right. To everyone else, we're old scratch. But between us two, we know the truth. <laughs> Lucas grins. William can't help but return the smile. The car roars as Lucas presses the accelerator, kicking up dirt and gravel as the brothers drive off into the sunset, looking for another adventure. Saratoga Lights is written and directed by Randall LaRue. Audio recording and engineering by Matthew David Rudd. Music by Randy Reynolds. This episode featured the voice talents of Brian Villalobos, Freddie Hines, Jordan Merritt, Matt Fitzgerald, Valerie Rose Lohman, and Matthew David Rudd. Until next time. Say, Mr. Weisselblue. Who, me? Yes, you. <sighs> Boss man says I need to work more hours or light six bit the dust, and little Johnny and sister Susie both need braces for their mallet clutches. Sounds like you need to get away. Sure do. You should visit Saratoga. Where's that? Tucked away deep in the pine trees of East Texas, Saratoga is the hidden gem that everyone is talking about. Stay in the newly built P.S. Watt Hotel and visit any of the hundreds of natural springs, bringing the healing power of water to whatever ails you. Modern science agrees, hydropathy washes away the diseases of 20th century life and stimulates the regeneration of organic matter within your body, promoting health, vim, and vigor. Wow, sounds like the water cures for me. While you're there, take the family to nearby Pine Island, the perfect spot for recreational activities like swimming and picnicking. Let the kids enjoy the water while you and the missus get a little alone time on the shore. You won't even be able to hear the gay yells of the swimmers as you relax in the serenity and tranquility of the bayou. Oh, what if Johnny and Susie can't swim? That's okay, they can spend hours at the Penny Arcade. Maybe Dad can get a couple of rounds of pinball in as well. Say, are you a church-going family? Sure am. Well, the Lord's in Saratoga as well, friend. We have any of a number of Christian denominations to accompany your Sunday travel plans. I forget the braces, kids. We're going to Saratoga. Yay! Saratoga. Whatever brought you here, we're glad you came. <laughs> Excuse me.